check. Well, if uh, everybody can make their way to their seats, we're going to go ahead and get started. And uh, we also need one more pastor up here. He, uh, there's a line at the woman's restroom, really? Oh, boy. Wow. Is there anyone in the bu- in the boys' bathroom? Just, just like open the door and let them. <laughs> open the floodgates to the bathroom. Open the floodgates to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, it's a little odd today because we have three of us up here instead of one of us. Uh, but I thought it would be really kind of cool that we started out. Uh, if you want to. Can you, I don't have control of the slide, so if you could go to that first slide, if you will. Is it up? Okay. Um, I thought it'd be really neat if we had a conversation with all of you, with the three of us, with all of you, what the church is and the church is us, right? And so it's real important for us to understand that, uh, it's real important for us to understand what it means to be a church. And, you know, when I originally planned to do this sermon series, uh, we didn't even know we were going to have this building, which is kind of cool, right? And, uh, but it happened to turn out that as we started talking about this, that the first Sunday that we were going to be here happened to be the start of the sermon series, What is the Church? Which I think is kind of cool. I think that's the way God kind of works. He works in mysterious ways sometimes, and that's a pretty amazing thing that he was doing there. But, so... Today, what we're going to do is for the next uh, four or five weeks, we're going to be talking about the church. And this is a great time for you to understand who we are at Passion. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But we're also going to talk a lot about what the church is, what the church is not. And uh, today, we're specifically touching on the church is and the church is not. Or actually, the church is not and the church is. This is the format and the way that we're going to go. And then over the few uh, weeks, we'll be talking about what the what Bible, what the Bible, what a Bible, what the Bible uh, says about uh, church and what it means to be a church. And then we're going to talk a little bit about us as a church family as well here at Passion Community Church, because I think it's important to understand that every church is different. There is no two churches alike. God's handprint is on each individual church. It's an amazing thing. So. But what I wanted to do is, the reason why I have Corey and uh, Chaz up here, so they keep me in line. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> not really. But that we will do. Yeah. <laughs> what, we, what I thought would be neat is, instead of just hearing from me, you get to hear from all three of us. It gives you an opportunity to hear uh, what we believe as a church, and also for us to have a little bit of a discussion. We won't have a lot of time, especially today, but uh, we'll have some time to have a discussion but, uh, about these topics. And so I'm going to start off today... Uh, with prayer, and then we'll jump right in. So will you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, you are the author of the church. You are the body. We are the body of Christ. We are the body that you call us to, to be. We're so thankful, Father, that we can not only join together as church family, but we can join together with each other, and we can celebrate who you are and what you're doing in our midst. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the blessings again of this place, the blessings of healing that we're speaking into these people that we prayed for today, and even those that may not have asked. Father, may your healing hand be upon them. But Lord, most importantly, through these series of sermons, not only today, but in the upcoming weeks, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand what it means to be a church. Father, it is important to you because you call us your bride. And, Father, you also call us your body, your hands and feet. And so we pray today, Lord, that you'd help us to understand what that exactly means and how we can walk out in this earth and in this place you've given to us until the greater time when we pass from this, uh, this place and on into eternity with you, Father. Bless our time together. Bless our words, Father. Let it not be just our words up here, but let it truly be your words speaking to us. Remove the hindrances from us so that we can speak clearly to you and to all of those that are in this room. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Direct us and guide us. We pray and we ask in your most precious and holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Now, if I jump up and stand up, it's just because I'm used to standing and preaching and not sitting <laughs> and preaching. So that's a little strange. But the, the true reason we're up here is because Pastor Jason wanted to take a break and sit down so we could preach yeah. longer. That's, it's Amen. tiring when you're walking back. Amen. Before. That's right. Can you flip to the first slide? So my topic that I want to start off today with is the church is not the past. And when you look at the church in Scripture, you'll see that the church has many different uh, avenues. We're going to be talking about that uh, more today and also more in the coming weeks. But one of the most important things that we have to understand is that what has happened to our church in the past, not only just our church, all churches in the past, is not what it is today. You know, I love uh, my, one of my really good mentors, Steve Neptune, uh, loves church history, especially church revival history and so he talks about that a lot and i have spent a lot of time with him talking about uh, the revivals and uh, azuzu street for example is one of those revivals and others that have happened over the years and one of the things that we often talk about is how can we see a revival today now it's not as simply as going back to what happened at azuzu street and repeating it today that just doesn't happen god's movement of us is different today than the way that he moved believers hundreds, thousands of years ago. God's movement for us today is different than the way he moved us 17 years ago when we started this church. It's completely different. We are a different church. We are a different people. What happens to humans often, and uh, if you can flip, uh, flip to that Bible verse there, what happens often, before we read this Bible verse, what happens often is that we look at something good that has happened in the past and that becomes and defines who we are today but what happens is we too often live in the history of the past just ask any Steelers fan oh I'm sorry Christy and and, and, uh, yeah I'm kidding of course at least you guys have at least you guys have some history right we don't even have the history of those things but no I'm kidding but let's be honest we as humans we tend to like to reside in good places And so when something good happens, we want to just stay there. We want to rest. We want to reside in that place. And there's nothing wrong with taking a moment of time where you just kind of sit in that little place and you celebrate what has happened. But the problem of it is is that too often what happens is years later, you are still defining yourself of who you were when that happens. This verse, Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14 says, "Now that I have Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. A really great verse. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Can you flip back to that, uh, the slide right before that? Yeah. Yep. 15. Thank you. Now what I want to, the reason why I brought this topic up is because, listen, I am really happy with who we are as Passion Community Church. Who we were in the past has been amazing. Some of, God has done some amazing things. And sometimes I just sit back and go, what? has happened right I, the first time i met this man right here i asked what are you doing god no i'm kidding <laughs> but 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 just even in our past things that have happened some amazing stories of healing and amazing stories of god's blessing an amazing story of god taking us from neomed and asking us and having a school district ask us to meet at the school district i mean that's an amazing thing right there's not too many superintendents and school boards in the northeast ohio area in the U.S., let's put it this way, that would ask a church to be there. Those are some amazing things. And I'm so proud of what we did for those things. But you know what? I'm tired of living on those things. I'm more interested in what God's doing today than what he did years ago. Not that what he did years ago wasn't bad because it was amazing things. But what we have to focus on and what I want to make sure that we're focusing on as a church is that we begin to understand our church is not who we were 17 years ago. Our church is who we are today right. in this very place. Right. Our church is who we are as we move forward, striving to obtain that goal of what lies ahead. And yes, we look back. But Jesus even warned, you know, in one of his parables, I don't have this verse up there, but in one of his parables, Jesus tells his disciples, what's he say? Don't, 
don't put your hand to the plow and look backwards, right? Right, right. If you're a farmer and you've ever plowed a field, and you start plowing a field and you're going like this and you start to look back behind you, guess what happens? <laughs> you no longer have a straight line. You have a curved line, right? And so let's strain to move forward. You got something to say? Yeah, I was going to say, not only that, but when you look at what happened to Lot's wife after they fled Sodom oh, yeah. and Gomorrah, when yeah. God said he was completely going to decimate this place, you should flee and never look back at your old wicked ways. Not that our old ways were wicked, but... Right very clearly that God says that we should focus on the future and not turn around and look at what happened in the past. And by the way, that means not just for us as a church, but that also means individually for each and every one of us too. If you're here today and you're struggling and you're going through life, don't worry about the past. Yeah, deal with it. Ask God for forgiveness. Come to the, come to the senses of where you are today. But the past is the past for a reason. Jesus says that he lets go of that past. God does not keep a hold of our sin when we ask for forgiveness it is as far from the east as it is to the west and it's at the bottom of the ocean you ever been to the bottom of the ocean i haven't have you ever met where east and west meet together no i haven't it's impossible keep going east and eventually you're going west right <laughs> right no wait that doesn't make sense keep going one direction and you're going to keep going that direction right doesn't matter I how far west you're agree going with you i know matter you of did just agree with me right? <laughs> very important let's not forget who we are from the past or let's, <laughs> hold on, before you go, let me rephrase that. The past was great, but the future of what God has for us is even better. We can remember what God Amen. did in the past, but let's grab a hold of where he's at. I'd like to say this one last thing, and then I'll turn it over to you, Corey, I promise. The thing that I like to say often is that let's not ask, the, let's not ask God to bless where we were or where we are, but let's go where God is blessing Amen. and follow him. That's why we have a big windshield on the front of our car and a very little rearview mirror. That's right. God wants you to see where you're going, what he's got planned for you, so take the next step towards wherever he's got. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, I think it's important, you know, especially as we are focusing on the future. Um, we have a, a lot of big plans as Passion Community Church. Um, you know, we, we, of course, we want to grow. We want to serve the community. Um, I, at one point, um, we, we've been referred to as the nomad church, the church that has no home, a lot like the Israelite people where we're just kind of wandering around place to place to place. We've been at Neomed, we've been at the school, we've been at Camp Carl, uh, we've been in my basement, we've been, uh, and, and now we're here. And I think it's important just to remember that a church is not a building. Uh, the building is important. Uh, when you look at Old Testament stories of the tabernacle and the temple, um, you know, it is important that there is a place for God's people to come gather and meet, but the focus is not on the building itself. Uh, and as a matter of fact, if you look at uh, where we actually get the, the word church from, if you look at the, the derivative, and I'm about to, I'm about to absolutely butcher uh, some Greek here, um, but the word church, um, scholars think it came from one of two different places. Some people say it comes from the Greek word karaki, uh, which is simply of the Lord. And then uh, other scholars think that it comes from the Anglo-Saxon word kirky, uh, which was the word for circus. Uh, while that is very fitting for our church, <laughs> um, the actual meaning of that is a circle. And uh, the reason behind that is the original gatherers, uh, when they would come to worship, they would meet in a circle and they would worship together, which is why I absolutely, I love campfire worship. I love sitting around a campfire in a circle. There's just something so amazing about worshiping in the round together where everyone just lifts up one, um, one voice together in a circle. And I'm going off on a tangent and I'm going to stop that. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that's just, it's such a powerful thing when... God's people come together to worship. And I'm going to pull uh, from a, a section of scripture here. Uh, I really encourage you to go back and read the whole chapter, 1 Timothy 3. Because um, what um, they're doing, and in, in the, the author is writing out um, requirements for um, overseers, which were um, elders, sorry, elders of the church, uh, as well as deacons of the church. So he's putting through what is required to be the church. And he kind of sums it up by saying, 
I hope to come to you soon. And this is uh, verse uh, 14, three, uh, 1 Timothy 3.14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So what the author here is saying, he's given us instructions on how the church is to behave. And, um, you know, the church is supposed to be a pillar and a buttress of truth. And I know everyone's laughing because I'm saying but from the pulpit. Um, But if you look at what a buttress is, um, that's a really small picture back there. But um, can you see that kind of sort of? It's a picture of a dam. And what the buttresses are, they're these little support pieces that run kind of perpendicular to the dam. And they support and hold that dam up from all, you know, you have the water back here, here's your dam, here's your water, here's a dam, and then you have these buttresses that all just kind of support that up, that hold back the weight of the water. And what we're being told here is that the people of the church were the buttresses that are holding all of that water back up. So um, the believers, that would be us, who comprise the body of uh, Christ are the household of God. We are comparable to living stones being assembled in the Lord's temple. The church is to be a holy dwelling place for God where the Holy Spirit resides. And everyone knows that's the truth. We're here holding up the truth that is the gospel of Christ. We're holding up the spirit of God. Um, We're all living stones being built up into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood of individual members of God's household. Right. Uh, See, we're a group of Christians to tell the lost about Christ. We are personally and collectively spiritual bodies and believers amid a disintegrating world of lost souls. So if we look at that picture of that dam, I'm going to erase all that. If all of that water is the lost souls, we're the pillars holding up God's truth to hold all of that back. And that's what the church is supposed to be. It's not a physical building. Um... It's the group of people in it that are holding up the spirit of God. And, uh, you know, other than just Timothy there, there's so many more scriptures that uh, focus on the church being the people. Uh, First Corinthians says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. He's telling us when we come together as a church, we all have a part. And building the building of the church. We all have a different thing. And you can come and get these scriptures from me later if you want to look them up yourself. Um, But all the things that we do as the church, they're supposed to be for building up. Uh, Even in the the Old Testament, we have Haggai uh, 1.8 says, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. We're being told here that just go get some wood and build the house. It doesn't have to be special. Just go out, get you know, saw down a bunch of trees so that we can have a church. Um, in Matthew eighteen twenty, it says, "For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them." We're people holding up the spirit. Where two or three of us gather together, it doesn't say that two or three of you have to gather in a temple made of gold and rubies, and you have to build an altar and walk around it three times and. Uh, do all these special things. He's just simply saying, gather together and I will be there with you. Um, And then lastly, even in in Revelation, uh, it's written, then I was was given a measuring rod like a staff and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but do not measure the court outside of the temple. Leave that out. So the instructions that um, is being given, it's measure the altar, measure the people, but I don't care about the building. The building can be as big or as small or it's, insu- it's insignificant. I don't care about the building. Everything, every scripture we see about the church, the focus is always on the people of church. And we are called to be those people, those pillars, those buttresses that are holding up the truth of the gospel. Amen. Well said. Yeah. Very nice. Very good. Very good. So, which leads us right into our next topic. I didn't know if these two were going to give me any time. (laughs) I mean, especially, I mean, he started talking. I'm like, I'm not going to have five minutes to do this. But anyway, 
No, God bless you. Uh, very, very good stuff. Very good stuff, Corey. Um, the church is not the pastor. And what was that uh, Anglo-Saxon word for the church? Circus? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I wonder who the ringleader is. The church is not the circus. The church is the ringleader. No, the, or, I'm sorry. The, the pastor is not the church. The pastor is the real, and and you know what? That's a, a very fitting um, visual uh, for us because how many has ever been to a circus? Everything happens in order. Boom, boom, boom. Soon as the elephants leave, then the monkeys come out. Soon as the monkeys leave, this guy comes. Next thing you know, there's people on trapeze, right? So. <laughs> Somebody has to bring this. Yeah, somebody, somebody has to bring this thing into order. If the church is a body of believers, not the building, not anything else, somebody has to be placed within that body to bring the body together. That is the pastor. But the pastor is not the church. We are the church, and a lot of times. The pastor's been, you know, because you're, you know, a lot of churches have their pastor's name outside on the placard or whatever, you know, so-and-so church, uh, pastor, blah, blah, blah. Um, but and we assign, we do, we assign every responsibility to the pastor. Well, it's the pastor's, you know, he's, he's responsible of winning my family to Christ. He was responsible of winning my neighbors to Christ. He's responsible for uh, them growing in Christ. He's responsible for the church, the building, the this, the that, and everything else. He's responsible for the checkbook, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, if we're doing this God's way, he is not the church. And the church is not the pastor. Um. The scripture I want to share with you on this is Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, where is it at? I got to find it. Is that, no, I'm, I'm, I'm at the right chapter. Come on, Charles, get with it. I'd give you my Bible, but you'd probably burn in flames. <laughs> what scripture did I give you? Ephesians uh, four eleven. Okay, that's there a, it is. That's a Boom. joke, by the way, because he doesn't. He likes the New King James version. <laughs> I like ESV, and we have that discussion often on, on, we on do. that. So the real the real Bible is the New King James version. <laughs> For those who are inquiring, uh, I. The most important Bible is the Bible that you read. Amen. That's right. Amen. Okay. And he gave him, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. This is the church. According to the effective working by every part, with, by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I want to go back to verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The pastor's responsibility, what he's called from among people in our area to do is to bring a people, a church, a body of believers together so that they may be equipped to do the work of the ministry. His job is not to do the work of the ministry. His job is to equip those who God's put around him to do the work of the ministry. 
The church is us. The ministry is us. And the, the, the difference is some of us are on, uh, are, you know, are mature, a more mature level. Uh, we've been doing this for years. We've been walking in the ministry for years, doing the ministry for years, and, 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 and that's great. But there's those that are new to this. Those that are, are uh, babes in Christ, they need to learn how to do this. And there's those that are seemingly uh, somewhat mature, and they still need the direction of the pastor. The pastor takes the gifts of the body of Christ that's been given him, molds it, shapes it, directs it, guides it. That's why a lot of times you read in the, in the scriptures that he's referred to as a shepherd. The shepherd isn't the sheep, but he's one from among the sheep who leads them. So I know that I can't rightfully project everything the church needs to be upon him. What I need to do is I need to work with him so that the church may fulfill what the church has been called to do. And I like what you said about uh, the church isn't what it, what it used to be, what it is, is in the past. If, listen, if we were living in the church in the past, we would be really cool with these pews. These pews would be exciting to us. Okay, a lot of churches nowadays got chairs, you know, uh, they modernize them. Listen, I don't care where we're sitting. If I'm sitting on a pew, on a park bench, if I'm sitting in a chair, if I'm sitting on the ground, if I'm hearing the word of God and I'm getting what God's got for me, I'm a happy camper. Amen. Amen. Um, now, let's see. Uh, I think that's what I got for that, right? Ephesians that's great. And by okay. the way, I did not pay him to say any of those things. Just to <laughs> let you know, okay? <laughs> oh, and by the way, if we're talking about, you know, well, the pastor gets paid. Okay. We are, listen, hang on. As a body of believers, as a church, we are funding him and his family to not have to go work a job. We are, we are not paying him to do anything. We are not his employer. God's his employer, his employer. God's the one that's called you. God's the one that's equipped you. God's the one who sent you. God's the one that anointed you and called you. We are here to provide, you know, with our tithes and our offerings, make provisions for the, the man of God and his family so that he don't have to do anything else. So he don't have to go make tents like the Apostle Paul, Right? So I don't, I, you know, I don't want anybody to ever get that idea in there. Well, my tithes are going to pay his, you know, salary. No, no. Our, our tithes are going to God for the building of his kingdom. God provides a salary to this man so he doesn't have to do anything else but to fulfill the ministry that he's called to. That's good, yeah. Amen. Thank you. Didn't mean to go on so much. No. Go ahead. <laughs> you're next. You, you oh, I'm next. Yeah, you're next. Oh, I'm next again? Oh, yeah, you, you sign get two me in a up. row. Sign me up. I'm two in a row. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, blah, blah, blah. so now let's talk about what the church is. We've talked about what the church is not. Let's talk about what the church is. The church is the bride of Christ. Mm. Amen. Now, guys are sitting there thinking to themselves, we've just been emasculated. But I'm here to tell you this morning that is, couldn't be the farthest thing from the truth. I want to be the bride of Christ because that's what he called us to be. I want to share with you, uh, just flip one page, Ephesians chapter 5. You guys, uh, there you go. Now this verse of scripture written by the apostle Paul um, involves the husband, involves the wife, involves marriage. And our, we're, we're, not, uh, we're not equating uh, our marriage to him. We're equating to him what our marriage look, should look like. That's right. So here's this. Verse 25. And if this hits you, God bless you. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Our marriage on earth as a husband, as a wife, should look like the marriage that between Jesus Christ and his glorious bride, the church. Who he gave his entirety of self for her. In other words, he has married himself to us. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. And he is preparing us for a glorious day where we will step up to the altar in that white robe, which, which represents purity, holiness, and clean, cleanliness. It's something that, that only he can do. It says that the, that the groom, the husband, ought to love the wife as he loves himself. So he's doing everything he can to prepare himself, for himself, a bride which is spotless and blameless and holy. So the church is the bride of Christ. We are indeed here to prepare ourselves to be uh, wedded to the one who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ. Now there's a continuation on this as found in Revelation. And this is like one of my favorite things right here. I'm going to tell you that. Revelation chapter 19. Man, I can't see anything up here. It's dark. <laughs> oh, I can read it up there. Yeah. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Listen, the whole white thing as a bride means that you're pure. It's a purity thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a clean thing. It's a bright, white, holy thing. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Is that it? Oh, and the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Now, we, I say this a lot when we do communion. I, you know, we talk about communion, the last supper uh, that Jesus had with his disciples. And we, we take that uh, and we, we uh, 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 partake of that um, as a, a, a feast with the bridegroom. So at that point, we are just engaged. But at this point, there's a full combination of this bride of Christ and the bridegroom who is Christ. And we're all coming together to this huge wedding supper of the Lamb. And on, at that point and in that day, we will be presented to him spotless, pure, dressed in white, and righteous before him. Why? Because he has done that in That's right. us. That's right. He has made us pure, spotless, and holy. Amen. We need to recognize and understand that we are the bride of Christ. And we are wedded to the one who, who gave his life for us. But husbands, I'm here to tell you. You ought to be a model of this in your home. Yeah. I just snuck that right in there. And that's good. We need to be that representation. Because Christ is the head. And we are those under him, and we are those that are called to represent him, husbands. And we are to give everything that we got to that wonderful woman that God gave us. Amen. So, we are the bride of Christ. Amen. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we're also called to be the hands and the feet of Christ. Um, I, I like the story. Everyone's probably heard the story, but there's that statue somewhere that someone broke off the hands. There, it was a Jesus statue, and somewhere along the lines, the hands of it got broken off. Um, and someone actually offered to pay to replace the hands of Jesus out front of the church. And the church came in and said, we don't want you to replace the hands because we are supposed to mm. be the hands. Man, that's good. Um, that's good. And so we're called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus and being the feet of Jesus, in theory, um, is actually pretty simple. 
Uh, the feet of Jesus belongs to those who are willing to be moved by God. Uh, that's something that's relatively easy for me to sit up here and say. Um, you know, but if we look at some stories from the past, um, in Genesis, when Abraham was instructed to leave, he kind of messed stuff up along the way. Uh, in Jonah, of course, when Jonah was instructed to go to Nineveh, he kind of messed stuff up along the way. Uh, had a little bit of a detour via the belly of the whale. Um, if we keep looking at stories, um, Ruth would be called to leave her own family to serve her mother-in-law, Naomi. And even going into the New Testament, Jesus called 12 super ordinary young men to become his closest disciples. Uh, he asked these 12 young men uh, to walk away from their jobs, their family, their personal safety in order to do that. So being the feet of Jesus, even though I sit up here and say, oh yeah, all you got to do is just follow Jesus, that's not always an easy ask. Um, you know, it, it's something that sometimes takes sacrifice. You know, I, I, I pictured me sometimes being like Jonah when I thought we were going back to the middle school. I was like, God, I don't want to go back to the middle school. <laughs> Luckily, he provided another way. Um, Amen. But here we are. Uh, be in the hands of Jesus, however, um, it's a little bit less black and white. You know, being the feet's easy. The feet is just God tells you to go somewhere and you go somewhere. Serving God, however, um, can be a little bit more difficult. And if we read in uh, Mark 10, uh, starting in verse 42, it says, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So the Gentiles, the people who were important, ruled over everybody, hand and fist. Um, they told everyone what to do. But Jesus continues and says, but it shall not be so among you, speaking to his disciples. Uh, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus for those of you who don't know, for even the Son of Man came to serve, I'm sorry, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for the many. So what Jesus is telling us, just like him, we need to make sure that we're taking on the heart of a servant. If we look at through that whole scripture, the key being right here, he came not to be served, but to serve. That was supposed to be a highlighter, but it didn't work. <laughs> I'm going to be cool like Corey and be able to write on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. Look at that. Sorry, Corey, go ahead. You see, when Christians go out into the world as his feet, Wherever your feet go, your hands go. That's right. Right? Mm -hmm. You can't send your feet. I'm, I don't know, I'm, I have the, with my hands in the air, I'm what, maybe seven and a half feet? I can't, my feet and my hands can't be more than seven and a half feet apart from each other, right? So wherever my feet are going, my hands are going with them. My feet carry my hands. And what my hands should be doing at that same time where God is calling my feet is it should be tending, preserving, serving, and healing. Um, healing the world he loves and entrusted his followers to care for. Back um, Way back in the beginning, um, in Genesis, God called mankind, that's everybody, it includes the women, he called everybody, we're supposed to be the curators of this world, we're supposed to be the ones that take care of everything. Um, and if we adhere to the gospel message and submit to the authority of Christ and receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit, where we go, Jesus goes with us as well. That's I've right. talked about before how um, you know, we're ambassadors of Christ. Christ lives in us. Wherever we step, uh, just like an ambassador of a foreign country, wherever we step, that soil that we're standing on becomes property of the kingdom of God. This looks very different than what we have in our minds that we're supposed to be doing. This means that we're loving our neighbors. It means that we're taking care of the poor. It means that we're feeding the hungry. We're clothing the needy. 
Uh, we're being hospitable to strangers. We're healing the sick. We're forgiving others. We're promoting justice and mercy. We're promoting peace, caring for the captive, the prisoner, and the oppressed. And Jesus ultimately said, whatever you did for one of the least, these brothers and sisters, you do for me. So Jesus flat out tells us, in our lives, whatever we do for the least person, I'm not talking about doing a favor for somebody wealthy, hoping that maybe they'd slip you, you know, a little bit of cash. He says, whatever you do for somebody who absolutely cannot pay you back, you do this for me. Um, and I took this even a step further. I was told that I was supposed to talk about being the hands and the feet, but that little rebellious part of me um, kicked in. Um, in addition to being the hands and the feet, we also have to make sure that we're the mouth. Um, the Great Commission, everybody's probably uh, seen this verse. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of their age. So the Great Commission is that we should go out and we should be making disciples of all people. It's great that we're being the hands, that we're taking care of everything that we find where our feet are taking us. But if we're not sharing the gospel, if we're not sharing the good news of Jesus, ultimately none of that matters. If we dig a well in Africa, providing clean water to a village for the first time, but then leave the village without telling them about the water of life that is Jesus, what have we actually done for that group? What have we accomplished? If we rescue people from human trafficking, um, slavery and sex trafficking, but never tell them how they can be freed from the slavery that is their own eternal sin and the consequence of that, haven't we ultimately just left those people in that same position? Right. If we sponsor poor children in developing countries, giving them enough food to eat and tutoring them in school, but then leave them starving for truth and ignorant of the salvation of Jesus provides... Will they be grateful when they discover themselves eternally separated from God after their death? If we provide funding for doctors to travel around the world to perform surgeries to fix all kinds of awful, awful physical means, but leave the recipients spiritually blind, deaf, and lame, haven't we essentially just put a bandage on someone who is dying of cancer? You see, the Great Commission is... What Jesus gives us to make disciples. Making disciples requires um, evangelization, the proclamation of the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Yes, being the hands and feet of Jesus is important. Ultimately, that's how we get the attention of people. If you just go out on the street corner and start shouting the name of Jesus, you'll get some people to pay attention to you, sure. But if you go out on the street corner and you start handing out $5 bills, you're going to have a whole lot more people come up, and you have a whole lot more people to pay attention to. Um, us being the hands and feet ultimately is what gives us the attention of the people around us so that we can become the mouth of Jesus. And that's all I have to say about that. Awesome. <laughs> well, you've left me with about a minute, so, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> no. We are also the church. The church is us. I, I had this long prepared thought that I was going to say, but let me, let me simply put it this way. If you want your church to be something, then go make it that. The quickest and most effective way for us as members of the church, that's including myself, including Chaz, including Corey, all of us in this room, for us if we want our church to be something, the most quickest and effective way is for us to go become that, whatever that is. You know, in the business world, I used to tell people all the time, don't come to me and tell me about a problem unless you also have a solution or a suggestion of a solution. It may not be the solution we take, right? But it better be a solution. You have, if you, anyone can point out a problem. It's real simple to say, listen, Miss Tanya, Chaz has these problems, and I can give you a whole list of them, okay? But if I don't come to you and say, Chaz has this whole list of problems, you should take that cane and beat it out of him. That's the solution, right? Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. 
No, but let's be honest. It is really simple for us to point out problems. It's not so simple for us to put our words and our action behind those thoughts and change those problems into solutions. God wants us to be the church. The church is us collectively. Every single one of us in this room makes up the church. And I'm not just talking about Passion Community Church, by the way. I'm talking also about the Big C Church, too, which we often refer to all of the churches. We all have a a part to play. God has granted you with some amazing abilities to do some amazing things that I can't do. And the church, both Passion and the Big C Church, needs those abilities. So if all of us in this room decide that we're just going to go home and take a nap, right? And the rest of the week, we're going to sit down and put our feet up and we're just going to sleep. Guess what? The church is full of people who sleep. Just remember, Jesus did take naps. Yes, I know. Jesus took naps, right? (laughs) Jesus also walked everywhere he went too, Corey, so... And he also healed people, Corey. (laughs) We are the collective movement of the church. So let me end with this before we jump into worship. I'll ask the worship team to come up. We are the collective members. We are collectively together the church. Passion Community Church will only be what each and every one of us in this room makes it to be. If we want to be a church that heals, then guess what? We've got to start praying to God that God heals. If we want to be a church that prays, guess what? We need people that are going to pray. If we want to be a church that reads scripture, guess what? We need people that are going to be scripture readers. If we want to be a church that evangelizes, guess what? We need people that are going to be out there evangelizing. If we want to be a church that, that teaches and disciples, guess what? We need to be disciple makers. Not just us. Not just the leaders, but everyone. Because again, I am not the church. The church is not a building, the church is us. And so collectively, when we come together as one, I gotta stand up, sorry. But when we collectively stand and come together as one, then that's who the church is. Over the course of the years, and we'll go into history of the church here in in coming weeks, but as we go through that, if you look at this, what happens is that the church became what the members of the church were. The apostles were great disciple makers and they were great evangelizers. And guess what? The church grew like it never grew before. We went through in the 70s and the 80s, the Jesus movement. If any of you are old enough to remember the Jesus movement, right? Why was the Jesus movement there? It was there because people loved Jesus enough that they wanted to go out and share the gospel. What is the church today? What are we today? We are what we are collectively. Now that is both really exciting and that's also really scary. Because if you think about it, what you decide to do once you leave these doors, you identify and you become what we are as a church. So when you go home, if you do nothing with your faith, then our church is nothing. If you go home and you disciple and you speak to your neighbors and you evangelize, our church becomes an evangelistic church. If you go home and you pray for people who are in need and and you ask the Lord to heal them, we become that kind of church. We are the church collectively. Will you stand with me, please? You're going to hear this comment many times in the coming weeks. Two things. One is that we are a family. The church is a family. And number two, We choose you. Just as Jesus chose us. Jesus chose to be in relationship with us. He chose and said, I want to be here. Myself, Pastor Chaz, Corey, the other leaders, all of us in here, every one of us in this room had a choice to be here today. You didn't have to be here today. You could have stayed at home. You could have went. There's thousands of churches in Northeast Ohio you could have went to. You could have went to some Spanish-speaking churches. You could have went to Catholic churches. You could have went to Baptist churches. You could have went to non-denominational churches. You could go to Methodist churches. You could go to all of them. But at the end of the day, you chose to be here, and I'm so happy for that because guess what? I chose to be here too. We are choosing to be family with you as you choose to be family with us. And collectively, we become the church. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the amazing miracle of life 
and the amazing miracle of what is called the church. Thank you so much, Lord, for, for instituting this creation and what it means, Lord, because in this little building here, we're not just friends. We're not just people who coexist on Sunday morning, even though we're tired and cranky sometimes and we need more coffee. But instead, we are a family of believers that starts with you, the head of our body. Lord, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be the pastor. But I'm more importantly, I'm, mo- I'm most pleased that I get to be family with all of those that are here today. Help us, Father, as we go forth from this place to be led to follow you. And Lord, as a church that wants to be an evangelistic church, we have to say the very first step is to follow you. And so if you're here today or you're watching at home online and you've never given your life to Christ, may today be that day. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, then we too can have everlasting eternal life. And what that means is that when we just stand before him and say, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to be, help me to accept and open my heart towards you, to have you come in to my heart so I can follow you. With those words and those actions and those beliefs, if you truly meant them, then you are given everlasting eternal life. We thank you for that, Father. We celebrate with those that have either done that online or even here, right here in this building. But Lord, we also understand this is a church that prays towards you and looks for your deliverance and your healings. Help us today, Father, to go forth from this place to be your hands and feet, the church that you've called us to be. We glorify you, we honor you, and we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could care? 